founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, my founder friends, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Rick Elmore, founder and CEO of Simply Noted. Rick Elmore is an entrepreneur, sales, and marketing expert, and former college and professional football athlete. As the founder and CEO of Simply Noted, Rick developed a proprietary technology that puts real pen and ink to paper to scale handwritten communication, helping businesses of all industries scale this unique marketing platform to stand out from their competition and build meaningful relationships with clients, customers, and employees. Rick has served as the company's CEO since its founding and has over a decade of sales and marketing industry experience. Here to share that story and more is Rick. So Rick, my new friend, let's get started. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. Awesome, man. Well, we took our stab at understanding a little bit of the story of Simply Noted, but in your own words, how did this all get started? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, you know, like you mentioned earlier, my background's actually in athletics. I have no uh, no technology background whatsoever. But uh, right after, well, let me, yeah. So, yeah, my background's in athletics. I uh, went to the University of Arizona, played football. After uh, college, I was lucky enough to go to the NFL. Um, got to chase out my childhood dream, um, played for three years. But, you know, that the, eventually I had to hang up the cleats and, and do something different. Um, after football, I, I got into medical device sales. It's just, you know, what a lot of the guys um, who did that transition naturally did just because it was, you know, highly competitive and, re and rewarding. Um, you know, I did that for about seven, eight years. You know, I was doing that at a pretty high level. It was always, you know, either, you know, top 1%, top 5 um, you know, in all the categories, you know, based off all the metrics, it just wasn't really, you know, satisfied. I just knew there was something more out there for me. So I went back and did my MBA, um, in 2017. And that's really where, um, you know, simply noted took off and, and really started, you know, it just really was an idea. It started out as a project, but, um, you know, when I had that, what they call the entrepreneurial seizure moment was, uh, you know, when we, got this little pen plotter machine and I wrote some letters and I sent them out to some customers that I never was able to work with. And I got some doctors to actually call me back. And off that first campaign, I think, you know, generated like, it was like 250 or $280,000 in sales. Wow. And I was just like, Oh, it was amazing. Um, when in our, our monthly commission quota was like 50 to $65,000. So, I mean, it was, it was insane. Like my whole company was freaking out. Like Rick, what are you doing? And from that <laughs> moment on, pretty mail. much, yeah, yeah. And then from, basically, from that moment on, um, you know, back in 2017, beginning of 2018, really started developing this this company. Wow. Well, I want to go back just a little bit because it's unique to your story, at least in what I've been able to interview so far. Is that transition from a very clear to a degree in one track kind of focus you had, which was sports. And then that being done and, mm -hmm. and being left with, well, now what, you know, I'm just curious, how difficult was that for you to figure out what was next? Yeah. So it actually, for a lot of athletes, it is a hard transition because as a college and professional athlete, your days are so like regimented, you know, there's just a, a schedule for everything. You're, 
eight o'clock here, eight thirty here, nine o'clock here, nine thirty. I mean, you're literally on a, a tight schedule, and you have a team around you. I mean, I had yeah. you know agents, I had nutritionists, I had trainers, I had coaches, I had other, you know, people that would help me be the best that I could be at what I was doing at that time. And a lot of athletes they have a hard time, you know, when that's done because you're basically on your own for the first time trying to figure it out. But what most athletes don't know is that you've developed so many skills, you know, and talents to get you to where you were as a professional athlete, mm. that if you were able to just, you know, take those skills and, you know, those transferable skills and apply it to something else, um, and basically recreate yourself that you're going to be successful with life after sport. And I'm not going to lie, you know, those first couple of years, it's, it's hard. It's really hard because, you know, you go from that locker room lifestyle, you know, getting, getting paid to hit people and, and punish people. And then you go to the real world where you have to, you know, try to get people to pay their bills and, <laughs> yeah. and get on contract. So it was, it was a culture shock for sure. But I think a lot of athletes are, are well equipped to be successful live after sport. It's just learning how to transfer, you know, what they're good at and all those skills to something else. Yeah, man. I mean, I see this being very similar to uh, like ex-military. And I know the, the mm -hmm. context in many ways is different, you know, like luckily your life wasn't on the line every game, but that, that regimented uh, schedule, mm -hmm. that like brotherhood, you know, that they experienced and the clarity of the mission and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Uh, and what's really neat is it seems like over the past decade, many of them, just like athletes are starting to wake up to that idea of transferable skills. Like the amount yeah. of former military I know that are crushing it in, uh, in, in like software, say like in SaaS companies and technology, simply because they realize I know how to lead. You know, I know mm -hmm. how to set an objective and rally resources and troubleshoot problems and things like that uh, is pretty wild. And I, I imagine the same thing is true for sports. What were some of those things that you said, you know what, here's some things I've learned, whether it be dedication or game planning or whatever what are some of those things that have helped you you think you know what um it's it's gonna sound probably kind of cheesy but it's just the the perseverance the will to succeed the competitive you know desire the passion to grow um i don't think you can be successful at a high level if you don't have a lot of those basic you know building block um you know fundamentals i guess um especially you know everything's kind of the same. Like if you think about it, being a, a professional athlete or being a professional in your, in your career or being a professional husband or wife or a significant other, you know, you got to have those basic fundamentals at the very bottom that are going to help you build a solid foundation for whatever you're doing. Yeah. And yeah, I think, you know, being able to handle the pain and push you the hard times and challenge yourself and grow always. And, and always being curious to want to improve and, and not getting stagnant or, or complacent. Um, those are, those are the people I feel like who struggle, yeah. um, you know, multiple facets of their life is having that discipline, you know, to push and keep driving is I think a lot of people, um, you know, fail to just, you know, work on that one basic fundamental um, of their life. Yeah. And well, the reason I want to spend some time here is because I don't think it's actually that unique to, to you. Meaning the first time I heard this and it helped me in my context was, uh, the person that his name is Josh Waitskin. He was, uh, who the searching for Bobby Fisher 
movie and book was about. He was this chess prodigy that spent his first 18 years of his life only playing chess and becoming the best in the world. And then he got over it. He, he woke up one day. I was like, I'm bored. I don't want to do this mm-hmm. anymore. And he fell into a little bit of a depression, not feeling like he had been prepared for anything else in the world besides chess until he started to realize just like you, Hey, I learned some things in being successful at chess that I bet would apply in any endeavor I would do. And it made his mind open to possibilities. And since then he's done a whole bunch of stuff. And that mm-hmm. conversation found me at a time where I was transitioning my career, where my whole twenties had been a nonprofit kind of ministry church world. And I felt like I wanted to go into the broader business world as an entrepreneur and felt like I was completely unprepared. Like I got nothing mm-hmm. on my resume that would qualify me to do any of the things that they're in my heart to do until I started thinking about skills. And I wasn't thinking about resume. I was thinking about skills. Like what skills did I develop that I could leverage for value that would bring value in this you know, context? Yeah. And that was just enough. I just needed enough of that clarity and enough of that courage to say, hey, man, I'm really good at communicating and I'm really good at coaching humans. Like I know how to work with people. And it started pointing me in a direction. And so I know a lot of people listening here feel that insecurity of, man, I did nine to five before I started this company, you know, and, I, and this company I started isn't even yeah. in an industry that I have experience in. It's like, yeah, but you probably have some skills if you were to look back on that would really help you and give you confidence about what you're doing now. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When you're when you're talking about that, it's something I, I remember learning early on when I started my business. It's about developing hard skills. I remember when I was a sales, you know, employee for a company, I was, you know, just another guy on the, you know, another pawn or another just piece of their puzzle. But, you know, as of starting a company, you actually have to develop really hard skills that are very valuable, um, not only to your business, but to other businesses. And that's one of the greatest things I'll, I'll walk away from um, with Simply Noted um, is just everything that I've had to learn, you know, just how much I've had to grow to get this sure. company off the ground. I'm not just a sales guy anymore. I'm, you know, I'm working with electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, you know, software engineers. I'm managing, you know, a team of 11 people over here, like full-time employees. That's not, inc- you know, including part-time employees, you know, building websites, doing SEO. I mean, you just, you're, mm. you have to grow so much, right. And then those hard skills that you develop just through those trials and tribulations, right. Um, it really helps you grow as a person, get that confidence that you need and help you grow, you know, in the direction that you ultimately want to go. Well, tell me this, let's jump back into, uh, the simply noted story. And so yeah. you have this revelation. Wow. As a salesperson, I just took the time to write some handwritten notes to some leads that I thought were kind of dead and gone. And it just brought in a whole bunch of, you know, you know, cash and, or new, you know, re-engage the relationship where then did you go like from that epiphany on how then did yeah. it start to, to develop so yeah so simply noted started because i was in a, a marketing class and i had a professor who said handwritten notes had a 99 percent open rate like he half like heartedly jokingly said like after talking about email direct mail you know push notifications he just like jokingly said handwritten notes are like the way to go so um again no technical background no software background no engineering background literally football and sales Um, i bought a pen plotter from china like literally a a cheap crappy pen plotter from china that uh was not good at all um what is it took me about it's basically uh i mean anybody can just google pen plotter but they're basically all like robots that you know uh engineers or you know you know 
what do they call architects used to use to like draw straight lines for like um hmm. i mean they're used for a bunch of different things they have tons of different applications but they're just it's really old technology it's been around since like the 80s and um you know wrote out some letters got the great response um had that seizure moment but i knew early on that was not going to work um, we eventually moved to like an auto pen have you ever heard of an auto pen no uh -uh. so it's a machine that the president uses to like sign his name on documents huh. but we had to jailbreak it like i literally like i worked with mailing houses here locally um i found a, a software engineer from a, a very close friend of mine who helped me basically make it right handwritten notes um and then eventually like to where we are today we've actually built our own handwriting robot so um it has just became so much more than I ever thought it would be. You know, our website last month had 160,000 users on it. Um, you know, managing that, you know, all the influx of questions and new clients and, and wow. making sure your website doesn't go down and building a fleet of writing robots and having mailing equipment, mail insert or stamp the fixtures. I mean, it's just, it's, it's become so much more than I ever thought, but that's what I was talking about. It, that forces you to grow and level up and develop those hard skills that are going to make you so valuable. It hurts. Um, change and growth hurts. And that's why a lot of people don't do it. But if you can be patient and, and keep pushing, um, you know, we're a pr perfect example. Like there's no reason a, a professional football player with no background in, in technology can start such a complicated business but all i've done is kept putting one foot in front of the other kept picking up the phone kept being curious you know every time i hit a problem i would just call somebody to try to figure it out and you know fast forward you know three and a half years we've done multiple millions of dollars in sales we should hit the inc 5000 this year um it's just been an incredible journey let's go man uh so yeah. if i'm hearing this right is the is the service that you end up providing let's say i could send you a whole bunch of you know text or emails of like hey this is mm -hmm. stuff i'd like to go out to these clients or whatever and then you have you have a, an automated kind of robot way of turning that into a handwritten script that then gets mailed out to them that looks like i hand wrote it yeah so what our service is you know, at the very you know base or I guess the very high levels, we're an API first platform. So we're, we're a technology company first. We help companies either automate um, or send handwritten notes, just like email. So if you think about all these triggers, you can set up to send an email, um, simply noted is that, but for handwritten notes. So think of like a new client, you know, think of like after this podcast, you can set up an automation to automatically send me a thank you note for being on your podcast. Wow. That's really what we do. Um, the power of simply noted is either to automate or scale handwritten notes. So if you had like a spreadsheet, we have tons of like mortgage and real estate investors, like they send us spreadsheets and we send out, you know, thousands of handwritten notes. You know, a lot of these, you know, our clients use us for prospecting or development or account-based marketing. I'm even thinking about but my wife as a really, realtor. She would love this yeah. for prospecting. Well, think about your wife, right? Like she has, you know, you know your neighborhood you, you probably have like two square blocks mm -hmm. where she wants to be the realtor to you she can send out a handwritten note to all the note uh, all the homes in that neighborhood and just prospect or farm yep. or develop those relationships but and that's a big problem too actually about our service because there's so many different ways to use this service like across every industry what we try to tell people to do is that at the very 
minimum, you should thank your clients. Because if you didn't have a client, you wouldn't have a business. If you didn't have a business, you wouldn't get a paycheck mm. and take care of your family. And we like to be a thank you, you know, a thank you card company, you know, a customer service based type of company, because, you know, think about it. What's it cost to, to bring on a new client versus just keep your current clients or get referrals from your, your, your clients that are already using you, right? Yeah. Um, so we try to be a company that integrates and automates sending, you know, handwritten notes for, you know, customer experience, client, you know, referrals, you know, you know, basically maintaining and keeping your clients happy. Dude, but, you got, you got a customer on me right now. Yeah. I mean, that is, we're always talking about that. One of the things that we talk about is how can we give our clients a 12 star experience? You know, what would it look yeah. like to, to go above and beyond for that? And, uh, usually at Christmas we actually are doing handwritten cards and that kind of stuff, but mm -hmm. like being able to do it for the podcast guests like yourself that come on, being able to do it even more times throughout the year than just the, the Christmas time or the whatever, uh, I, yeah. just, I think is amazing. So, yeah. And I, like you just said that holidays are our busiest time of the year. I, I actually tell people like, you know, if you only send a few handwritten cards a year, it's still always better to do it in you, like you, for you to sit down and do it. It really is. Yeah. Um, our service comes into play when you, you know, you're working with these insurance companies, you know, large home service based companies, luxury brands, where they need to have a consistent, you know, customer journey experience where it needs to be integrated in like the time timeliness matters yep. where there can be no delays. So, um, or if you just have, you know, some of these, uh, large, um, why am I drawing a blank on it? Financial service companies, you know, they have 8,000 or 12,000 clients. It's impossible to do it. Right. Mm. So we always say, Hey, like, you know, if you only need to send like five or 10 a month, do it yourself. It, it just makes sense. Like if you need a service, we're there for you, but simply noted as a, it's, you know, we're there to help you automate it, you know, make sure it's consistent um type of program where everybody's going to have the same experience right you guys can control that or scale it so good uh so you mentioned early on like every every founder's story that there are challenges that have to be overcome and you know evolutions that we have to go through both in our idea as well as just even us as a person so if you think back on yeah. that first year or two where you got a great idea but there's a huge gap between the idea and the reality being out in the market and making money for you. What were just yeah. a few of those challenges that you all experienced that you had to figure out a way to overcome? So we've been complete. We, we've built our company with no loans, no debt, no investors. Um, wow. And, and it is impossible to say that in this niche. Um, what we did very early on when I was very, you know, what I'm still good at is marketing and sales. Like I know how to, you know, um, find out where the, where the issue is, develop, you know, provide value and, and here's a solution for it. But, um, you know, plus I have that competitive spirit in me. So the early days we got really creative, you know, I was basically funding my business on 0% interest credit cards. Like I would literally get like a $10,000 interest free credit card. And the next time would be a 25,000, then a 50,000. Like, you know, as long as I was making payments and paying it off, like I got banks to, to help us out there. That's, so that's what really helped us early on. Um, because money was the big deal. And yeah. I, I think if you think about it, every entrepreneur is going to struggle there. They're going to like, I have no money. Like, how do I pay for this? You know, how am I going to cover my bills? How am I going to, you know, make money for my family? Right. So um, I was extremely proud of those first two years. You know, we just, we made it work. We either sold uh, or we got creative and, and found money in ways that most people wouldn't even waste their time doing. But um, 
you know, what I'm really proud of is, you know, how we've built our company. You know, we've had the five employees who've worked here for more than two years. Um, so, you know, we don't have a lot of turnover. People love working here. Um, you know, a lot of our clients are, you know, they're seasonal and cyclical. Um, so they're using us multiple times a year as referring their friends. So we haven't dumped like any money um, into PPC. Um, it's all been organic. You know, so we've done a lot of like SEO and stuff just to kind of grow that evergreen type of marketing strategy. But, you know, we've built the foundation of the business so it can last for, you know, 20 years um, versus what a lot of people do. And if you're a founder, don't do this. Don't dump all your 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 money into marketing. Um, your company will fail um, early on. It's just I've seen it so many times before. We've seen people enter this space um, with a million dollars in funding, $3 million in funding. And all they do is they go to trade shows and dump 10, 15, $20,000 a month into PPC. And then they're gone in 18 months. It's just, you know, it, it's not uh, sustainable, but um, what's the better way to do yeah, it? I mean, uh, the evergreen slow approach. So um, you gotta, you gotta find those lighthouse customers early on. So those customers that are, um, you know, will try you out, but also help direct other people towards your business. So you got to find like, you know, um, uh, like, uh, what do you call those people? Uh, key opinion leaders, KOLs. Uh, so you got to find those key opinion leaders in certain industries. So we had a key opinion leader in real estate. We had a key, key opinion leader in um, home service. Um, we worked with them, built the trust with them, helped you know, make sure the product works and then they would talk and guide other clients to us. Mm. So that's a really good organic way of doing it. Um, you know, we invest a lot of money in our blogging and SEO. So that's why, you know, last month we did 160,000 visitors. Those aren't paid for. Um, that's just reoccurring. They're going to come back every single month. Um, I'm not paying Google for that. They're just looking for something online and we pop up and they come to us. So but, I'm not paying for that. Yeah, so, but you, you know, did. But you did spend the resources bad. to do a quality blog oh, took, and those yes. kind of things. So, and I can spend two hours talking about how to blog, why to blog. You know, the tools for blogging, how to find writers. Um, Let's talk about that for post. a little bit. I don't know if we've talked about that yeah. at all on the podcast. If you're willing to go there, so, absolutely. So, if anybody is starting their business, this is my biggest mistake. Um, you know. I wish I didn't, I wish I would have started my blog day one. You just don't know what you don't know. And, um, if you look at our, our traffic metrics over the last 18 months, it's, it's hockey stick. I mean, it's literally, it kind of started and then it just shot to the moon, hmm. um, because of, you know, the amount of content that we post for about 15 months, we posted a blog every single day. So it was a very aggressive strategy. Um, how you write your blogs, you know, they have to be very structured. So I would recommend anybody to get on YouTube and just start, you know, watching videos on like, you know, how to grow your blog traffic, how to write a blog, you know, how to rank on page number one. There's, you know, you could basically get a, an MBA on, on SEO on YouTube for free. And that's what I did. I literally, I literally went on on YouTube, watched videos, and then found people that were good, you know, looked at their free courses, you know, did their free courses, like, and taught myself. So now I just manage our blog and I have ghostwriters do it. But um, when you're thinking about marketing your company, you want an evergreen strategy. And evergreen is just something that's going to come back every single month without you having to pay for it versus going to Facebook ads and you're going to have to pay per click Yeah. or go to Google and pay per click. Plus you become a, an industry um, expert 
and um, people are going to put you like as like the person to go to if you go online and you're everywhere. Um, so for your company, for what what is the blog kind of consist of? Like, what's the angle? What's the topic? Like, I'm I'm curious how you guys have positioned your blog to drive traffic that would lead towards customers. Yeah. So you know. It's an example. Um, we do a lot. So there's a lot of how to. So there's two different ways to do blogs. Um, when the, there's two different like blogs that people are always looking for, how to or best of. So like if you think of like you know best running shoes or how to increase your running pace, right? Those are the two types of blogs that are going to rank and do the best on Google every single month. Ah. Um, so if you think about it, like we operate in so many different industries. So like what I would do is like. And we want to write a, a real estate blog for farming, right? So we put that at the top and then we'd write down little topics under it. Like, what are people looking for? Okay, message templates, mailing list, um, you know, uh, where to buy a list. I mean, you literally have to like write it out, draw out a map and then write out a blog on every single section. So when people are looking for things, you get so granular and down into like the nitty gritty details that you become like the best blog on that topic. And depending on how you write it, and there's a bunch of tools out there that can help you write really good blogs that are going to rank, um, those blogs will get pushed up to page one, like in no time. Mm. And that's really what we figured out about 10 months ago. We figured out how to set, you know, find a topic, segment it, you know, optimize or write it in like an SEO optimized way. And like it ranks in three or four months. And then, then you start seeing all that organic traffic. Wow. And have you been able to directly tie that to revenue to the business? Yeah. So, I mean, we, I, I mean, I literally have no pay-per-click budget. Like there's just no reason for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, the way that we measure the success of it is just the, the, the metrics of, you know, new client meetings booked. So people go to our website and like, like book consultation or demo request or people who sign up to our website and, I mean, it's growing at like a 30, over 30% every single month, like off of previous months. So it's just, I mean, it's just, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You gotta, you really got to study the value of SEO. If you're a business that needs clients and you don't want to sell on the phone every day and be prospecting every day, you literally need to, to do your homework on SEO and figure out how that SEO strategy is going to work for your business. Now I'm like, curious. If I, yeah. I'm curious for you, why, why blogging versus maybe some other mediums? So blogging is just, it's evergreen. It's going to come back every single month um, versus there's a, I'm trying to remember the book um, I read a few years ago. It's about the bullets and bowling balls analogy, you know, about taking risks, you know, um, you know, bullets, you know, you take little Jim small Collins, risks. Good to great stuff. Is that what it is? I think so. Yeah. Is, is that what it is? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, basically you take small risks, right? So you don't blow your big budget on something and it tanks your company, which, you know, I was talking about earlier, a lot of these companies just dump money into marketing and going to trade shows, you know, trade show booth is $30,000, right? Um, and I think blogging is a very low risk, massive reward. Um, you go to Google, you're going to pay for the, um, the keywords that you want to rank for. I mean, I'm, competing with eight other people on the same keyword, right? And us all competing is going to drive that cost per click up. Plus we don't know who visited, right? So we can't track and retarget that person. But when someone comes to my website through SEO, um, 
you know, they sign up to my website, I can look them up, you know, find their email, look them up online, retarget them. Right. Yeah. Um, and that was free. Right. They request a sample kit. I get their phone number, their email, their address. Right. Um, yeah. So I just, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, I, I didn't know any better. Um, doesn't matter what business I, I start in the future. I'm going to do that from day one. Um, Heck yeah. because it will, yeah, it literally, I mean, I, yeah, Google is, they, they have too much power, but, uh, <laughs> you know, if you, if you play the game and you know what you're doing, I mean, it's extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I want to stay kind of in the same vein, not necessarily on blogging, but in, in terms of things you're doing now that you weren't always doing or things you're doing mm-hmm. now that you would do again, if you were to start any other business, what else comes to mind? Like blogging that you're like, man, this is key. I didn't used to do this and I do this now. So innovating, um, you can't sell, you know, a lot of these companies out there, what they do is they just white, like white label the same product. Um, if you really want to be the best and you really want to be the company, like, you know, my, my goal for simply Note is to get it acquired someday, you know? And when I think about that, of somebody who wants to come and buy my business, I'm thinking about what would I want to see when I buy a business? I want to see, you know, good revenue, happy clients, a game changing product, innovation, a massive competitive advantage. And that's what we've done here at Simply Noted. And that's what I would do at every single company. If you don't have a game changing product and a massive advantage over everybody, like why even compete? Hmm. Like you're, there's nothing different about you. And um, with the development of our, our own robot, you know, it, it's, it's been a serious project. We spent over 800 grand um, developing this handwriting engine, this writing machine, like self-feed. So it's completely vertically integrated. So everything could be a lot more efficient, more profitable. Yeah. Um, and the, yeah, it's just, if you want to win, you gotta, you gotta innovate and, and, and do that. Um, how, how do you approach level. innovation? There's no reason for it. How do you approach innovation at your company? So the first, I mean, you have to be, so I, I compare it to when I was an athlete. So, um, every, so every single day you watch three hours of film before you even go practice. So you're literally watching yesterday's practice. You break down every single angle. You're watching the person in front of you who you're competing with. You're watching, you know, or I played the outside linebacker. So I'd always watch the offensive tackle and myself, my technique. I'd watch the other outside linebackers who would compete and do things differently than me. So I'd always like, you know, analyze and, and really just study. Mm. Right. Um, I've taken the same approach to, to business. Um, you got to study your competitors. You got to know everything about all the products out there. So like for us, all the different type of writing machines, you know, it'd be kind of comparing it to like the different types of football pads or the different types of cleats. You got to try them all right. And, and see what works for you best. But, um, you know, I just, I study my, my competitors. I study the market. I see, you know, when a company goes out of business, why did they go out of business? I don't want to go out of business. If a company's doing something good and they're being successful, you know, you got to see what they're doing, right? You got to analyze it. And um, I've just taken that like very, you know, student of the game study approach to business that, you know, what made me successful as being an athlete. And that's really what I did um, when we developed this but I, I mean, I truly down to my heart and soul know like our handwriting robot is the best. Mm. Like we've just, we've studied and we've, we've looked at everything and, um, really, you know, innovated something that is extremely valuable and really truly sets us apart. And I think that's what you got to do. And, um, so you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. I, I, I wouldn't be happy 
doing, you know, selling the same type of thing as everybody else. Like I, I need to compete and keep pushing and keep innovating and, and, uh, keep trying new things. Um, it's just in my, in my nature and my blood, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I've got two questions off of that. One is, so once you, once you study the, the competitor or you study the situation and you see what you think is the obvious area, like that's either the exact idea or that is the area I know we could innovate. How do you proceed from there? Is it incremental, the small so, bullets kind of thing and test and, and learn as fast as you can? Like what kind of, what do you do from there? So, uh, when you're, you got to have a game plan, right? Um, you know, you got to be prepared, right? You got to put in all the practice during the week. You got to have some type of game plan, but I think what's most important as an entrepreneur, you know, anybody listening to this podcast, like everybody can have a plan until you get punched in the face. Right. Right. That's life. That's being an entrepreneur. You can have this plan. That's going to be perfect. And I've done all the studying. I've done everything. And this is how it's going to go because I've made it, you know, I've planned for it to go this way, but life doesn't go the way that you plan. Your business is not going to go the way you plan. You're going to get punched in the face. You're going to get kicked down. Um, you're going to have clients who, you know, sign contracts, don't fulfill contracts. You're going to have great clients, bad clients. You're going to have people who take advantage of you. It's just, it's the world we live in and being able to respond, you know, um, not react. Mm. Like that's a big thing. Mm. Like a lot of people emotionally react to things. Um, I think as an entrepreneur, you got to have really strong control of your emotions and not be that roller coaster high and low. And you got to be able to respond. So have like a, an intelligent, you know, calm, thought process about when things are going bad and how you're going to respond to them. But yeah, you, uh, I think the bullets and bowling ball things you're, you're saying are, are really important, but have a plan, but you know, get ready. Yeah. So hold on. It's never going to go, never going to go the way that you think it's going to go, but just keep failing forward. Don't stop outlast everybody, you know, keep pushing, keep mm. innovating. And before you know it, like you're going to like, come out of the craziness you're like holy crap like we've built something really cool and yeah that's how I, I feel here after three and a half years yeah it reminds me of the ooda loop in the military you know the i think it was the air force uh maybe it was the navy pilots but i think it might have been the air force uh first designed you know when we were uh, in a lot of air-to-air -air combat against the russians they had superior technology much faster planes much quicker and we had to figure out a mm -hmm. way that we could still compete and they, they decided the only competitive advantage they could have was the speed of their decisions and the, mm -hmm. basically the correct, uh, and the correct decisions. Like how do we make the right decisions faster than them? And so they developed what they called the OODA loop, which is a series of ongoing learning that makes decisions. And so it was observe, orient, decide, act, and then do it all over again. So how quickly can we observe what's going on? How quickly can we orient ourselves to that? What's the right decision? Let's take an action mm -hmm. and then do it all over again. Now that we've taken the action, observe again, orient, decide, act over and yeah, over again until like you win the war. Yeah, like the repetition and practice, right? Like you're literally conditioning yourself to something that is going to help you be successful, right? Yeah. Like you just said, here are the four steps. Let's practice it. So when you get in the game, right, or in life, right, you're going to be ready to respond, you know, versus, you know, break down and <laughs> yeah. react, I guess. What yeah. helps you, you know, a lot of this is so emotional, not just tactical, but when you take a punch, you know, a business punch in the gut, uh, what helps you get back up? 
you know, I think it's just been, uh, it's my nature. Uh, failure is not an option. And um, for me, it's really just overcoming the challenge. I think that's really what helps me, um, what's, what, what's helped me become successful. You know, in college, I played for four different position coaches. You know, I had a really good college career, um, led the Pac-10 in, in multiple stack categories, multiple years. And I always had to start over every single year. And you think like after, you know, you have some success and you're doing right. pretty well, like you don't have to reprove yourself again because you just did it. But I had to always do that in college. Um, you know, I really figured that out in sales, right? Like the emotional roller coaster of sales, like how do you overcome rejection? How do you overcome that deal falling through? How do you, you know, hit plan when nobody you thought was going to buy is buying, right? Um, for me early on, I always thought activity equals results. And that's really what pushed me through like the first six or seven, eight years uh, of my career. And then getting into uh, being an entrepreneur, it's really been about, um, they call them SOPs, standard operating procedures. Like you just have written down guidelines, like, hey, like this is what you gotta do. This is how you do it. Like keep doing it. Um, that way you're not like trying to figure something out when you're super stressed out and adding even more stress. So like when things are going bad, you just stick stick to, you know, like the, the basics. And, um, yeah, I mean, I really, I'm, I'm, I don't even know the word to, to explain it. I'm just, I'm relentless. I'm a, uh, un, yeah, I'm just relentless. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't, I will not stop. Like, yeah. It's, it's a good thing and a bad thing because I will just not, I will stop at nothing. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, man, you know what this reminds me of, and I've got to, I just have yet to take the time to actually figure out who said this. I can't remember. I just remember hearing the quote that in the near future, uh, athletes are going to start to think like CEOs and CEOs are going to start to think like athletes. And mm -hmm. we're seeing that, that athletes are like, Hey man, I need to be, I got a lot of money coming in. How do I be smarter about this? Right? Mm -hmm. Like I need to really not just throw my money at a manager and hope they do well with it. You know, they're thinking like, how do I be smart and build a brand and, and have money that lasts? And then you're starting to see CEOs go, what could I learn from being an athlete? How do I take care of myself? Yeah. How do I recover? How do I de develop mental resiliency? How do I lean in and find a, a healthy competitive kind of viewpoint? And I, I hear that a lot in you, again, with the transfer of like, man, a lot of what I learned as an athlete has helped mindset wise, approach wise, help me here. Do you see that? that wisdom of the athletes starting to yeah. think like CEOs and well, CEOs are trying to think like athletes. Yeah. So, I mean, it, more than ever, I mean, athletics is a business now, um, with, especially in college, you know, right. it, with the it new started, changes. it's going to, I mean, it's going to go down to high school, you know, give it 10 more years. It's going to go down, you know, down to the, you know, I don't know, but it's going to keep going down. I think what I it didn't really, um, hit me, like you just said, but it makes sense. Like, you know, as a athlete, like you have all the, the working out and the health and you're, you're young, right? So you're like, you're young and healthy and vibrant, but you, you're making all this money. So you, you want to think business minded. And I, for you young CEOs and entrepreneurs out there, it is a real thing. Like there is a reason why we're talking about, you know, what Drew said about a CEO want to be like an athlete, like taking care of your health physically, mentally, emotionally, um, so you can be at your best. Um, because your business will, I've seen it. I mean, I, I've been a part of the, the EOs. I've been a part of the, you know, the chamber of commerce, the BNIs. I mean, I've done the Vistage. I've done all these groups 
And that is one big thing all these CEOs struggle with. And you're going to say it's not going to happen to me, but right. it literally happens to every long-term CEO. You carry so much weight and stress and stress and, and, and everything that could happen in the future, which you know happened to you in the past. Like you have to take care of your body. <laughs> like, I, do, I got an ice bath. Like you're talking about the resilience. Just, yeah, I got an ice bath and it's set to 38 degrees. Like getting in that thing in the morning, it literally just, you know, it revitalizes your body, but it does, you know, work on your mental toughness because it hurts. Yeah. Right? Um, so that's a really cool analogy and I, I absolutely have seen it. Um, absolutely can see that, you know, I'm telling you, man, it's been over the last two years. I told you before that coaching executives and teams is is kind of my thing. That's been the single most important topic we've done It's because through this podcast, when I ask people, what are they worried about or what's the biggest pain? It was burnout for themselves Mm -hmm. or for their people. And it's like, all right, well then I was a former athlete as well. Like, what did I learn that helped me not just show up once for a game, but consistently, right? Because that's what athletes have to mm-hmm. think about is it's not just can I show up once and be great, but how do I do it again and again and again? And it's physical, emotional, mental, and even spiritual. Like there's mm-hmm. there's four levels of energy that we have to know how to both spend, like give it, and then also get it back. Give it and give it back. And then, you know, uh, another equation we talk about is stress plus recovery equals growth. You've already got the stress part. Your, your life, your business mm-hmm. is going to naturally put stress on you. But how good are you yeah. at recovering? Because it's the stress plus recovery that gives us that kind of growth, right? And so, yeah. I, you yeah. know, offline even, I'd be really curious to talk with you more about this and get your perspective on it. Yeah, it's it's it can be. I mean, I'm, I'm in my early 30s now, so I'm still a relatively young guy. But I can see, like, if you don't take that seriously, it is going to destroy you. Absolutely. Um, at the end of the day, like, you're living between here. Right. You're living between your ears and your mind is going to do more torture than anything else, uh, anything else in this role will ever do to you. And if you're not, you know, equipped with the tools to, you know, be mentally sharp and mentally tough and have the ability to control your thoughts, you know, in good times and bad, because when you, good times are happening, oh, things aren't, everything's great. Nothing bad's going to happen. Right. Yeah. So like you have to control your thoughts there to not get too that way. But then when things are going bad, you know, how easy is it to spiral out of control and, and, oh, it's all ending. Right. And I've literally, like, I've heard it a hundred times. <laughs> oh yeah. Having to develop that and um, telling you exercise is a big thing. Um, you have to do it every day, especially in the morning for a lot of you high stressors. If you don't exercise in the morning, you're, you're I mean, you're doing yourself a disservice. It really helps, you know, get your, your body in a, in a good position to take on the other stresses of the day. Um, I would recommend a, an ice bath if you, you know, if you guys really want to, you know, take your body to a different level. I mean, I have all, I have sauna, ice bath. I have the leg boot compression sleeves. I have all the massage guns. Like <laughs> I, I take it very seriously. Good. Um, Do you go you know, back and forth between my, the hot and the cold? Life. So I am, I have a sauna. Um, yeah. So it's, it's more like a dry heat and then um, ice bath is just always cold. Well, I, I'm saying just water. Uh, so yeah, do you do you do kind of? I've heard a lot of people like to go, you know, get their core temperature up really hot and then go into the ice bath and back and forth, or do you do those kind of separate days? Yeah, it's it's just however I'm feeling. Like if yeah, I mean, in the winter, like in the winter, my pool is ice cold. So I mean, my pool. I mean, here here in, in Arizona, you know, we get the all extremes 
you know, cold and heat, but I'll go in my pool and then I can set my, my ice tub to a hot. So yeah, then I can do some contrast there, but I, I do, I do the sauna for some different things. You know, there's some, um, it helps you sleep better. It's good for like your, your blood flow, heart health, you know, you know, I have kids and a business yeah. and I'm getting older. My body's not 23 anymore. So I'm really, you know, really focused on longevity and how can I be healthy, the healthiest I can be for the longest I can. So, um, you start obsessing about this when, you know, you're not 24 anymore and benching 400 pounds and running all day. And, you know, you really start obsessing about your body. I don't know. Yeah. I, at least I do because my body used to be my tool for making money. And now it's like, it's not that anymore. <laughs> right. Right. But it is yeah. the, but it is the tool that you have that yeah. either gets you up to play with your kids or just says, I can't, I got to take a nap or the, you know, the one that allows yeah. you to get up and kind of charge into the day or the one that you feel like is holding you back from being your best self. And I think that was what I realized is I had to change mm -hmm. it from thinking about its correlation to sports and instead go yeah. like, it's, it's one of my main energy drivers. If this thing feels yeah. good, I have the energy to take on and do what I want to do. If this thing feels bad, I go into self-preservation mode and it's like, how do I get mm -hmm. out of this? How do I avoid this? You know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. uh, it was a big game changer for me, even, even psychologically to feel yeah. like an athlete again, to feel like that self-respect and that, Hey, I did a hard thing today and you know, that kind of deal. But, uh, I, I want to end with this. How are you currently navigating the challenge of the pressure and the demand that, your business is putting on you, but then also I know you're married and you have two small kids and that, that that's a lot pulling on you, right? How are you currently navigating yeah. having, having both those kind of extreme demands on your life? You know, and I've, I, you gotta understand your why. And I think, you know, a lot of people have heard that and it's kind of like a, a cheesy statement that a lot of people use, but for me, my, my why is very clear. I'm not a, this isn't a monetary thing. Like I'm not trying to make a hundred million dollars. Um, I wanted to first prove myself that I could do it. Um, cause I was looking for that next challenge after, um, you know, after athletics, you know, I saw that big chip on my shoulder, but also I'm, I'm just, I want to take care of my family. Yeah. Um, I was the first person to go to college. You know, I was the first person to graduate college. You know, I've been the first to do a lot of things and I'm really trying to change the path of know where my family is and where my family's going and really just raise the bar to really help them start here so they can take it somewhere else so my my why is very clearly defined so on those stressful days you know if you're doing it for money you're going to fail miserably because there's gonna be a lot of days where you don't make money there's gonna be months when you lose money or there's gonna be years when you lose money right um and if you don't have if you're not doing it for the right reasons if you're not 100% bought in, you're just going to crumble and crash. I've seen it too many times. You really got to be doing it for the right reasons. So when all that stress comes, it it's just a part of the the gig. Like starting a business and being an entrepreneur, it's just a part of it. Like there's no way of getting around it. Like you go from being a W-2 employee, which I was, to being responsible for W-2 employees. And my employees have kids and families. Um, you know, I have kids and a family and I'm worried about the growth of my company, you know, mistakes we've made in the past, how they're going to affect us in the future. Like those are just natural ongoing thoughts, but I am deeply rooted in why I'm doing this. So, um, that's what helps me push and keep going. And, um, that's why I'll, I'll never stop or I'll just continue to fail forward until uh, we reach the goal we want to be at.
Beautiful. Great way for us to end. Rick, man, thank you so much for being here, sharing your story, your journey, your wisdom with us. I've learned a bunch. I know our audience has as well. I really appreciate your time, my friend. Yeah, thanks, Drew. This was great. I appreciate having me on. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.